Do, uh, do you ever replay an experience that you've had in your head? Anybody, please tell me I'm not the only one. You replay an experience in your head, and, and you wonder if you did the right thing, or if you, if you said the right thing, or, or you wonder if you should have done or said something differently. One of those moments for me was a, was a hospital visit, and I was in the room with a critically ill patient and gathered the, the family to pray. And as I invited them around, I gestured to the daughter who was kind of in the, in the doorway to come and join us. I just wanted to make sure she knew she was welcome. And she declined and, and stood there in the doorway. And, and I, I knew why. I knew the story. I knew that the, the story that she knew of the church from her life was one of judgment of pushing people out and away. The story she knew of the church or that she'd been told or experienced in the church was one of politics and, and power. In that moment, in that moment, I so just wanted to walk over to her and tell her a different story about God and about Jesus and about the church. I so wanted to invite her into the circle and, and, and show her that, that we have a different story, a story of embrace and goodness where everybody is included and, and welcomed and, and that the church are a people that offer refuge and, and grace and love. And it, it wasn't the time or the place, and, and I know that. But I've replayed my prayer and my time in that room again and again with, with just this prayer that God might use it to open a door. Just nudge it open. Make room for another story. I... As a pastor, I continue to be driven in my spiritual life by this question that came to the surface in that very room. What story are we telling about Jesus and the church? And how, how are we telling that story? And how can we reach more people with that story of grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness and joy and goodness? In light of our sermon series this month, we might ask the question in another way, how are we offering that story as God's blessing to the world? Let's pray. Holy and loving God, may these words and our thoughts, may they just all be to your glory. May our minds and ears be open to what you would have to say to each one of us. May our hearts be open to even more of your love. May our lives be transformed by your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let me ask a few questions this morning. If you find a really great recipe, and you make it, and it's really good, what do you do? Do you put it in a drawer and forget about it? I mean, some of us do, right? That happens sometimes. Right, but, but more likely, you, put, you post it on Facebook. And by the way, I'm not talking about the recipes on Facebook that look good that you post. I'm talking about the ones you've tried. Sometimes those other ones, they don't turn out so good. 
right? We put it on Facebook, or, or, or even better, we invite people over, and the next time we have people over, we want to share this joy and this goodness, and so we, we make it, and we share the recipe with them so that they can share it with others, right? What if you discover a really great life hack, you know, a solution to a, a problem in your life? Say, how to keep your doors from banging on the wall of your garage, or to keep your kids from banging their doors on the wall of the garage. And say you know somebody else who has that same challenge in their life. What do you do? Right? You share your, your life hack to make their life a little bit better, to make their life a little bit easier. Now, just to be really clear, what if you come across a life hack that says you could plug your phone into a banana? You've got to be careful with the Internet. I'm just telling you. When you come across a life hack like this, you don't try it. You share it with your friends to be amused and to share the joy of that moment, right? And by the way, don't try this at home. It turns out re really bad for your cord. Just don't ask how I know. What do you do when you have really good news? You're having another grandchild. You got a promotion at work. Your golf score was under your age. Do you keep it to yourself? No, like you want to you share that good news, right? Often we can't wait to share it with somebody. So what if you received the best news ever? What if... What if you learned the way to experience the very greatest joy that life has to offer? What if, you, what if you came to know a love that never stopped pursuing you? What if you received a promise that death would not end your life? What would you do with this news? Put it in a drawer and keep it for yourself for later? We hope not. Right? The Apostle Paul, he writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And he's talking about this kind of news, the best news ever. And he's talking about essentially why he shares this, this message about Jesus. And this is what he says. We're going to turn, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 16. Um, but I'm going to be reading from the message version because I think Eugene Peterson, as he did this paraphrase translation, does a really great job of capturing kind of more than just the words on the, the page, but the phrases in English that help us understand what Paul is saying. Paul says this, if I proclaim the message, and the message is right, the, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If I proclaim the message, it's not to get something out of it for myself. I'm compelled to do it and doomed if I don't. If this was my own idea of just a, another way to make a living, I'd expect some pay. But since it's not my idea, but something solemnly entrusted to me, why would I expect to get paid? So am I getting out anything out of it? Yes, as a matter of fact. The pleasure of proclaiming the message at no cost to you. You don't even have to pay my expenses. 
And then Paul keeps going. He says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, who Ever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that line. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. At its heart, Paul says, God blesses us to tell God's story. God blesses us to tell God's story. Now, Paul seems to be answering those who seem to think that he has some ulterior motive for for what he's doing, for what he's sharing, maybe to, to make money off of this or for some kind of personal game. And he says, no, I don't, I don't share this good news for any kind of, of personal gain. I share it because now that I know it, now that I know the saving love of Jesus in my life, I can't help but share it with others. In fact, I'm I'm doomed if I don't. Like, I can't contain this news. And then he goes on to say, like, it's too good for me not to share, and I want to share it with everybody. Not just those around me. I want to I make sure that this message gets out there into the world to everyone. And I'll do anything I can within the love of Jesus. Within the way of Jesus, I'll do anything that I can to share this news with everyone that I can. All month here, we've been exploring what it means to be blessed. The world, it says blessing is financial comfort and good health and status and and influence or work influence. And while those are good things, we've been discovering that the blessing in God, the blessing God wants to pour out is something deeper. Being blessed, we've been discovering, is, is putting ourselves in position, whatever the world offers. It's putting ourselves in position to receive and to know God's grace. And in this, right, in this we found that even burdens can be blessings. We found that our greatest need, our our need to be in community, our need for other needs can be blessings. Giving and sharing puts us in a position to receive and know God's grace and thus becomes a blessing. Today we add this. Being blessed 
is to know that at any moment, with any person, God could save a life through our witness. Being blessed is to know that at any moment, with any one, any person, God could save a life through your witness, through you just sharing your story of God's love in your life, through your sharing of the good news of the resurrection that comes in knowing Jesus. Think about this invitation for a moment. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? When you think about it, like you could save a life for eternity sometime this week just by, just by sharing your story, and that's actually not quite right. God could save a life this week just using your witness, your sharing of a part of your story, how your life has been transformed by a relationship with Jesus. God could use you to offer an invitation to know the unstoppable love of Jesus. Like, what a blessing. It's powerful, right? So the question becomes, like, what holds us back? If we share recipes and, and we, we share life hacks and we share other good news in our personal life, like if this is the best news ever, what, what holds us back from just sharing with everybody we encounter? And I, I have a hunch that there are three things that hold us back. The first one is this. I, I think we're actually held back by guilt. I think we've heard messages like this before, and I think we know that we want to, we, we should share with others, but then we, we leave the worship experience on a Sunday morning, and we, we then all of a sudden think, wait, but all of my circles are, are church people. <laughs> Everybody I know is, is, is part of a church, or, or at least we think so, and then, then we think, well, sharing with strangers is scary, and, and I, I don't even like meeting strangers, let alone sharing sharing something like this with them. And, and so, so then we feel guilty that we haven't and that guilt builds up and then it's hard to get past it. So I, I just want to invite us this morning, I want us to just let go of that guilt. Yeah, that happens. <clears throat> it happens for us. Let, let go of that guilt. God understands. The second thing that I think holds us back from sharing in our world today is that we don't want to be associated with megaphone guy. Right? We worry that if we invite someone to know Jesus or begin even to talk about Jesus, that they're going to immediately judge us as being one of those megaphone guy kind of people who seem judgmental and out there, and, and we don't want to be identified with that. Or, or in a different way, I think we think, well, if I start and they're uncomfortable, I might mess it all up. I might get it wrong. And I hope in a moment you're going to hear an invitation to let go of that too. Because megaphone guy is out there, but, but we have another story about God's love and embrace. And people won't hear that story unless we get over our fear, unless we get over our fear of being identified in some particular way and realize 
that we can be identified for the embrace that we offer if we'll share it and talk about it. Which I think brings us to the third reason that I think we don't share this good news of Jesus. I think there are many of us who don't think that our story matters. I think we say things like this. Well, I've heard powerful stories of Jesus and, my, and Jesus' transformation, and, and my story isn't that powerful. I, just, I grew up in the church, and I just, I just know that love. And my story, it's not like those other people's stories, so I don't, I don't know how it would move anybody. Or, or we'll say something like, well, I, I don't know how faithful I really I don't know the Bible very well. I don't think I could ever win an argument about whether God exists. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel prepared to, to do this. Or, or for some of us, it's just, I don't know what to say in that moment. What if I told you today you're in good company? I think we should start there. Like, I, I hear this all the time. In fact, I've heard it from pastors as we were studying. We don't know what to say. Like, we don't want to be that witness who, who uses hell to try and tell somebody, well, you're going to hell if you don't believe what I believe. Like, we don't want to be that, but, but what do we do? How do we share it? Well, we're, we're in really good company, I think, when we ask those questions. And the Bible has some stories, and I, I want to look at three of them really briefly today. Three people who, I don't think they were the first people you'd think of when you think of people equipped to share the good news of, of Jesus. The first one in John's gospel, we find this story, right, of a woman who encounters Jesus at a well. Some of you know this story. Some of you know this story. For those that, that don't, Jesus is, is uh, in, essentially walking through the area of Samaria, and, and he encounters this woman at the well, and they're alone. And we know two things right away. It's a Samaritan, she is a Samaritan, and she's a, a woman. These are two traits in biblical times that immediately said outsider. As a Jew, you wouldn't associate, um, a Jewish male, you wouldn't associate with women, and you wouldn't associate with Samaritans because they don't have anything to offer to the world. And yet, here Jesus is, he encounters her, and he starts a conversation with her. We also know that she's at the well at midday. The story tells us that, which means she is likely avoiding people. You went to the well in the morning, and you went to the well in the evening. If you were at the well midday, it's because you didn't want to see anybody else. She's probably an outsider in her own community as well. And suddenly she finds herself in this conversation with Jesus, who offers her living water says, I, I, I can give you something that this well can't. I can give you living water. And she's intrigued because here's a, a Jewish man being kind to her. And then he knows so much about her that, that she says, like, you must be a prophet. And then it sort of dawns on her. She's like, wait, there's this story of a, of a Messiah that will come. And Jesus says, you're with him now. You're talking to him right now. In John 4, 28, this is what happens next. It says, Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see. And they did. Come and see. 
Notice what the woman did not have to do. She did not have to explain all of the Bible to somebody, which is good because she probably didn't know all of it. She did not have to threaten anyone with an eternity in hell. She just said to the people that she met, I've had this amazing experience. You should come and see this for yourself. I met this remarkable man named Jesus, and in one conversation, I felt accepted in a way that I have never been accepted before. You really should experience this as well. I want to invite you to meet him with me. She just offered an invitation, and the Bible says this, many Samaritans came to believe. Four out of five people, studies over time have shown this consistently, four out of five people will come to worship or a church ministry if they are invited by someone that is close and trusted. Simply offering the invitation. Now, the woman isn't the only one who shares the good news of encounters with Jesus that we might learn from. We skip ahead to John chapter 9. There's a man born blind. And uh, like, to understand this story, it, it helped. Just imagine yourself being blind, not today, but in the time of Jesus. Like, there's no Braille. You, you can't read in any way. There isn't any way to make a living. You're just dependent on society and culture. Your parents until they're gone, and then you're probably just going to hope that somebody will drag you to the town square to beg for food and some sustenance so that you're, you're cared for in the culture. There's no, there's no hope. There's no living. And one day, Jesus comes up to this man, and he, uh, he gets some dirt, and he spits on it, and he makes mud, and then he puts it on the blind man's eyes. And sometime when we have more time, we'll talk more about the symbolism in, in this, because um, it's kind of a weird thing, right, to spit and then put mud on the eyes. But we got to jump past that today to get to the, uh, to get to the message here. Um, then Jesus tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he does, and when he does, he opens his eyes and he can see. Imagine that moment. You've encountered this, this man named Jesus who's done something kind of strange, tells you to go and wash, and when you do, suddenly there's color, and there's people, and there are buildings and trees you can see. And he starts to celebrate and, and tell people and people, they want to know what happened. And so he tells them, and then the Pharisees bring him in because they, they're trying to disprove that this even happened. And, and he says to them, I find this fascinating, he says to them, because they want, they want him to claim that Jesus is a sinner. And he's like, I don't, I don't actually know much about Jesus. But I know that he has transformed my life. Actually, he says these words, I was blind but now I see. He just tells his story. Before I knew Jesus, I, I was blind. But, but now, after encountering this Jesus, I don't even know much about him, but now I know that I see in a whole new way. 
What has Jesus done in your life? I think we make sharing Jesus sometimes really complicated, but, but this, this blind man shows us it can, it can be, I think, pretty simple. We can just share what difference being part of the church, what difference knowing Jesus, what difference living without fear of death means for us in life. What has changed in your life because you know Jesus? And maybe you weren't literally blind, knowing many of the stories here. We weren't literally blind. But every story matters. God's at work in every story. And you can start to think about your own story and what you'd share with, with someone else just by, by filling in the blanks. And I, I hope you'll take this and do this this week. Just, just take a moment, fill in the blanks. For these two sentences, without Jesus in my life, I am blank. Or if you want to think before and after, before Jesus was in my life, I was, and just fill in the blank. Before Jesus was in my life, I was kind of directionless and searching for meaning in ways that weren't helpful. And then, once you've done that question, or that sentence, fill in the second one. With Jesus, I am... With Jesus, I am fulfilled. With Jesus, I have direction and meaning and purpose. With Jesus, I know who I'm called to be. This is your story. And don't underestimate it. Because if someone isn't blind, they'll have a harder time relating to somebody whose story who is blind. But if, if somebody has lost work and is looking for a way, if you've lost work and found your way or, or didn't panic because you had a church family and, and you knew you were supported, you can reach that person. Right? Your story is bound to connect with somebody else. I, I often will share with kids, like, think of this as show and tell. You know when you bring something to school and you want to share it because it's important to you and, and, and you want others to, other kids to know about it? Think of this as like adult show and tell. Like, this is how knowing Jesus helps me to be a better person. This is how knowing Jesus helps me in my marriage or, or maybe saved my marriage. This is how knowing Jesus helps me as a parent. This is how Jesus helped me to forgive. This is how Jesus helped me to overcome this addiction in my life, whatever your story is. Now let's jump to, to one more example that I hope will instill in us again that we don't need any superpower to to tell people the story of, of Jesus. To help people experience the blessings of, of knowing the love of Jesus. There's a woman in the Bible named Tabitha. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, you may have heard of her as Dorcas. That's her, her name in, in Greek. In the, in the book of Acts, we learn that Tabitha was always doing good and helping the, the poor a short little story, but, but that's what we know. She made such an impact, provided such care in her community that when she died, the people around her, they went to the disciples and they asked to bring Peter. 
And with the power of God, Peter brought her back to life. News of her resurrection spread, the Bible tells us, to many people. They came to believe. Why? Because she had devoted her entire life to serving others. She gave her life in service to others in the name of Jesus. She didn't just serve. She served in the name of Jesus. And I want to pause here for just a moment because there's this quote by St. Francis of Assisi that floats around every so often on, on social media. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard it. It says, Preaching, preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. Have any of you heard that quote before? Preach, the, preach the, the gospel always. When necessary, use words. Well, if you see that, just a, a word to the wise, um, St. Francis didn't say it. It's nowhere in St. Francis's writings. It's one of, those, one of those great things that comes up. And the quote isn't untrue. I mean, I, it, the, the impetus is live the faith, and I think that's very much true. But, but it's actually incomplete, because St. Francis would actually say, live the faith and then tell people about Jesus alongside it so that your words line up with your actions and people see the way of Jesus in your life as you're telling them about it and want to experience it as, as well. Dorcas preached by serving in the name of Jesus, serving and telling people about Jesus. These go together. I believe this is one of the reasons that our food pantry has been growing by leaps and bounds, really since it was created, but certainly over the past five or ten years. There is absolutely great need in the community, and I think that's a part of it. But something else happens in our food pantry here at Clay Church. There are plenty of, of those who identify as Christians who will, who will uh, sort of drive by those in need and say, God loves you, we love you, and they might even like throw a check in that direction and say, well, we're going we're to help in this way, right? But then they pass right on by and they don't come back. Our food pantry here at Clay Church asks the question and sits with people for a moment and multiple moments when they come back and says, what do you need? Like, we're not just going to throw a basket at food of you. We want you to, to fill out a sheet and tell us what your order is. What, what do you need? And we're going to spend a moment in the car with you, and our volunteers are going to say hello and ask how things are going. And if we see that you have a need for prayer, we're going we're to pray with you. And if you have a, a deeper need, we're going to find a way. Sue is so great at this. We're going to find a way to, to help and, and meet you there. People want to know. People outside of the church, I think in particular, they want to know, do you care? Do you really care? Do you mean it? Does God care? Does the church care? And I think the answer people receive at the food pantry is, yes. We care about your needs. We care about you as a person. And as we meet your Physical needs, we want to be there for you spiritually as well. Think about these three biblical characters for a moment. The woman at the well, the, the blind man, 
Tabitha. They're like us. They're just human beings. They had flaws and, and struggles. We don't hear about all of those. They had different life experiences, some harder than others. Yet all three were used by God where they were with their experiences to invite others to experience the life-transforming love of Jesus. A Samaritan woman drew people to Jesus just by inviting them to come and see. Just the invitation. A once blind man drew people to come to, to want to know Jesus just by sharing the story of his transformation, what Jesus had done in his life. A woman in the early church drew people to want to know more about Jesus just by giving her life in service to others. Three things we can all do. Inviting, showing, and, and telling, serving. People will ask me, particularly sort of post-COVID and the, the challenges for the church in the last, last five years, and, and by church I mean clay and global church, they'll be like, how are we going to refill the pews with people on Sunday morning? How do we, how do we get more people to, to come to, to worship? That they often are, are seeking, like, what's, what's your plan? Well, I'm going to tell you the plan today. Are you ready? It's you. Right? You are God's plan for growing God's kingdom. We are God's plan for, for growing God's kingdom. When we begin to offer invitations, when we begin to tell our story to others and invite them to come along and, and experience this kind of love and acceptance and, and embrace and, and transformation, when we all get more and more involved in serving and offering invitations through that service. Right? We are God's recruitment plan. There is no greater blessing. There is no greater blessing than inviting and sharing our story and serving with Christ's love, knowing that in any given exchange, God can begin the process of saving a life with the love of Jesus. Nothing greater that we could do with our lives than to offer that invitation to show people the way, to share a little piece of our story. Participating in the saving grace of Jesus we are blessed when we share this story and our part of it. Amen? Amen.